Nobody knows what happened on the night the heroes fell. All we know is that they disappeared, and evil triumphed, and the bad guys have been calling the shots ever since. What happened to Wolverine is the biggest mystery of all. Some say they hurt him like no one ever hurt before. Others say he just grew tired of all the fighting and retired to a simpler life. Either way, he hasn't raised his voice or popped his claws in close to 50 years. His old friends will barely recognize him now. Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dudes. Dude. His dudeness. Duder. El Duderino. Dude. Dude. Dedicated to a single objective. The conquest of the universe. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. And now, here's the dudes. Welcome, everyone, to the Legion of Dudes podcast. Today, we'll be talking about Marvel's Wolverine Old Man Logan, the eight-part saga that wrapped up recently in Marvel Comics. I know a lot of us were excited about it. We were reading it as it came out monthly and are glad that it's the eighth part finally came out. I guess it was about two, three weeks ago. So we're going to get into the discussion, talk a little bit about talk talk about the book, talk about um, a little bit about other Miller McNiven work that we're uh, fans of, maybe talk about some other just kind of post-apocalyptic um, alternate future kind of stuff that we've all enjoyed. So tonight I have with me Mr. Johnny M and Mr. Jim Deets. Evening, fellas. Yo, yo, yo. Howdy. I just like to say that I got a lot going on right now, so you're gonna have to bear with me. I'm a multifaceted geek. I have the Yankee playoff game against Minnesota on. I have a fantasy football game where I have to root against the running back on the Tennessee Titans, Chris Johnson, in order to win. Uh, and of course, we have Old Man Logan, which was awesome. So I got a lot going on, but I got multi screens, so I'm good. Picture in picture. <laughs> Sounds like, sounds like you're all geeked up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God forbid a kid upstairs gets a fever or like my wife needs me, like somebody breaks in, that would really be a problem. <laughs> Call the neighbors. <laughs> Are they on Skype? <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get started, I guess we'll do a little bit of uh, housekeeping. Um, as always, um, we'd love to hear from listeners. We'd love to hear your comments on the boards at thecomicforums.com. Please send us emails at comments at legionofdudes.com. You can also send us pre-recorded voicemails at comments at legionofdudes.com. You can also call and leave a voicemail on the actual voicemail line at 516-468-7912. And as always, we are requesting reviews on iTunes for not only the regular half-hour-wasted Legion of Dudes feed, but also the new half-hour-wasted Legion of Dudes extended edition feed. If you guys aren't checking that out, you're missing some really, really cool stuff. John, you and Dan just recorded recently um, your Predators extravaganza, which was awesome. Thank you. Yes, it was It was lots of fun. And I would like to say, uh, before you continue, I'm going to cut you off for a second. Uh, we love our listeners, and we are very appreciative to have all of you. But what are you people thinking? Uh, <laughs> because there is a small fraction of our regular listeners that are subscribed to the extended edition right now. And it's more free, geeky stuff to listen to. So get on over to iTunes and subscribe already. God. Okay, go ahead. 
rant over. <laughs> no, it really is good stuff. It's it's a lot of you know the cool thing about the extended edition is it's a lot of just seat of the pants kind of whatever we feel like talking about at the moment. It's a lot more timely. You know, Old Man Logan been going on for a while now and the last part came out three weeks ago but this is probably the most timely thing we've talked about in a long time on the main feed because we plan incessantly so so check it out plus for all of you that buy floppies you got john and ken with the weekly uh, poll list report um so, so many good things going on you got all the interviews that adam umack did the uh the spx and uh pittsburgh comic-con and i guess baltimore this weekend uh as well so uh you know check out extended edition you're only getting half the story with the regular podcast not that the regular podcast is, you know, lacking in any way, but... <laughs> it's just more. <laughs> it's just more. More dudes. What more could you want out of life earlier other than more, more of us? Money. And we have a very special uh, uh, addition to the extended edition uh, that we're going to be announcing here in a few weeks when we have Megan Washington on the show, so you want to stay tuned for that. Sweet. Absolutely. Girls. <laughs> <laughs> Always a plus. I like girls. I would hope so. So, uh, Old Man Logan is about, like, you know, after the apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic kind of destroyed, shattered America. What are, what are some of your guys' favorite uh, post-apocalyptic, you know, movies, books, stories? I gotta go with The Road Warrior on this one, because that's, like, one of my favorite movies of all time. And I love it. I, I just think it's, like, the perfect action film. What about you guys? Yeah, I, I've always been a big fan of The Road Warrior. That, that's always been my top tier of, of that style. I also like, like, Escape from New York. That's always, you know, kind of sort of post-apocalyptic. I mean, it's been done in comics as, uh, as well. I mean, we had, um, you know, Kingdom Come and uh, Hulk Future Imperfect and uh, Earth X and uh, a lot of different, uh, you know, after-the-apocalypse kind of stories. It, it just seems to be a really, like, fertile setting for, for good storytelling. Fallout. Yeah, yeah. Fallout 3, excellent example. I dig the... Yeah. I like the post-apocalyptic stories where... I guess it's post post apocalyptic. Like now the now the world has become something else after the apocalypse rather than like the wasteland. You know, like Planet of the Apes is a good example, I think. Um, even like the Matrix and Dark City, you know, it's kinda like after the apocalypse and now we've become the virtual reality society or the where it leads after the apocalypse is over. Yeah, the other vibe I got in, in reading No Man Logan, and this is kind of a bad movie example, but the movie Doomsday, it, it only reminded me in similarity in just the whole post-apocalyptic and a lot of freaky people and, you know, just kind of this roadshow concept where, you know, the main character is kind of going from one, you know, over a great distance to get to her destination and encounters all this craziness that happens. But um, that was definitely an example of, of a bad movie, and I think this comic is, is an example of it done very well. Have you guys, just before we move on, it just made me think of it when you said Traveling a Great Distance. Have you guys seen the trailer for this Book of Eli movie coming out? I haven't seen the trailer, but I've seen like the poster and I've read it read up a little bit. It's with Denzel Washington, right? Right, right. Have yeah. you seen anything on that, Jim? No, I've just, like Russ said, I've read about it. I have heard about it. That's about it. Yeah, check out. I know I definitely saw the trailer before a movie in the theaters. I haven't tried to search for it online, but I'm sure if it's out you know, playing in previews that you can get it at Apple trailers or whatever. I thought when I saw the trailer, I was sure that it had to be a comic book movie. Like this is just a comic that I haven't heard of. You know, it just gave me that vibe. And apparently it's not. Um, <laughs> it's actually an original screenplay, I think. I don't even think it's, you know, after a novel or anything. I, I could be mistaken. 
but it's same type of thing. Like the apocalypse has happened. Some kind of great virus has wiped everybody out, mostly everybody out. And Denzel Washington has like the answer in his satchel. And he has to like walk wherever he needs to be and like fend off all of these crazy, you know, mutated gangs and stuff to, to get the message to whoever. It looks really cool. Something It's probably coming out this winter or whatever if anybody wants to check out the trailer. But definitely along these lines of, of what we're talking about. Yeah. I guess, you know, we can even look at things like I Am Legend or um, even our one of our favorite franchises of all time, even the Terminator franchise, especially with um, Terminator Salvation. We got a lot of that vibe, especially in the beginning where it took place, you know, kind of out in the desert and all that kind of stuff. I think the other big vibe I got from Old Man Logan was almost like a spaghetti western, um, especially yeah. Near, yeah, very- near the end. You know, the, 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 the um, old gunman who won't take out his guns no matter what, you know, because he's been pushed beyond what anybody should have to endure, you know, that whole, uh, the whole, you know, man with no name type vibe we get from Logan uh, all through this miniseries. That's a great point. Maybe somebody will give Sergio Leone a black ring and and he can come back and maybe direct the movie version. (laughs) Yeah, this is one of those, you know, people, uh, we have these movie franchises rolling along like Batman and it sounds like Wolverine's getting another solo film and, you know, one day we can only hope that somebody does Dark Knight Returns and somebody does Old Man Logan. That's yeah. what, hopefully, you know, when the franchises are winding down, somebody will make the move, but it would be pretty risky, I would think. Oh, yeah, definitely. It would definitely. pay off, but it would, be, <laughs> but it would be a risk in studio eyes. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd almost rather see Dark Knight Returns as an animated uh, thing. Kind of like what they did in that one episode of Batman, the animated series. They yeah. had like a, seg- a segment where the kids were telling the different stories about Batman. And the one story was animated right out of Frank Miller's uh, Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. I, would, yeah. I would love to see that as like a DC premiere DVD or something, you know? Yeah, that'd be cool. Like New Frontier or whatever. All right. So I guess we'll, we'll next thing we'll talk about real quick is we'll talk a little bit about some of Miss, uh, Miller and McNiven's other work that we've you know either been fans of or followed or have been interested in. And I guess I'll go, I'll go first um, when it comes to Mark Miller. A lot of his stuff I have not read prior to Civil War, really. I mean, Civil, Civil War in a lot of ways, other than, um, I guess, Enemy of the State. I guess that, that predates. Um, he did an, a 12-issue arc on the Wolverine, the current Wolverine series that we're, that we're starting with this, where um, John Romita Jr. did the art. So you say John Romita Jr., and I was getting the Wolverine book anyway, but you say John Romita Jr. art and, and team it with Miller's writing, and um, it was just a, a knockout series. It was actually two separate arcs. It was Enemy of the State and then Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, and it was just a great 12-issue arc. It's, it's out there. It's been collected. It introduced a lot of cool uh, things to the Wolverine character and took him in a really really neat and different direction, and it was kind of, it was kind of refreshing given that the, the oversaturation we've had with Wolverine in the last you know probably 10 years it was kind of kind of cool to see see a different take on the character. And of course, Civil War, um, that's probably his, his biggest thing. And you know, this is the team that did Civil War. You know, from all the way from you know Miller writing to McNiven's pencils to Dexter Vines inks to more Hollowell's colors. So just again, presentation-wise, a phenomenal book. Um, regardless of what you may or you know think or, or not think of the story, I I personally enjoyed it. You know, like most folks, I had some issues with the ending, but overall, I thought it was really good. He had a great run on Ultimate X-Men. He kicked off the Ultimate X-Men book and also kicked off the Ultimate Fantastic Four book, which uh, was a pretty cool, modern, updated take on the Fantastic Four for the um, for the Ultimate Universe. 
And then, of course, probably a great, probably the thing I like the most, probably even even more so than Old Man Logan, is his takes on the Ultimates. And ultimately, if you haven't read Ultimates One or Ultimates Two, go you know stop you know hit pause on your record and your listening device and head down to the shop and pick up the either the hardcovers or trade because the Ultimates is just a fantastic book. Both both parts, you know, they flowed really well. The hitch art is is just great. So, um, so great stuff. On the from McNiven's art, I really you know he did a lot of I guess cross gen stuff in the beginning of his career, so I haven't really I didn't pick up any of that stuff. So for me, the first real recollection or the real interest I had with McNiven was Civil War, um, and I know he's done you know stuff here and there. He also did the run of District X from this was several years ago, and I actually collected that run um, for a while and then got out of comics for a short run and got back in and I've kind of recollected all those back issues but to my life I can't recall what the art looks like it or much of the story it was kind of a detective story with um, with Bishop in a place called Mutant Town um, before the House of M thing so that's that's kind of where I start and end I guess with Miller and McNiven well uh, one of my favorite Miller things that, that you didn't mention I mean I loved Ultimates uh, 1 and 2 as well I really enjoyed uh, Wanted uh, the graphic novel more so than the movie uh, just because the premise was so great and it's kind of the same premise here uh, in Old Man Logan as well I mean what if all the villains because I mean they outnumbered the heroes obviously because heroes have more than one villain uh, what if they all ganged up and decided to take the heroes out once and for all and uh, it was a great premise when he used it and wanted with J.G. Jones and it's a great premise here too it's kind of a double duty type thing but that was my first exposure to Mark Miller and then after that I read Ultimates and some of the other things that you mentioned uh, as far as McNiven the first time I saw his art was on Civil War as well and to be honest I really wasn't that impressed um, there were some panels in Civil War that I just thought were outstanding and, and great and, and blew me away and there were some sequences in Civil War that just kind of left me cold and I was just kind of confused as to what I was looking at so I kind of you know ran hot and cold on McNiven but I've got to say in Old Man Logan, I mean, he really knocks it out of the park. I really, really enjoy his art a lot here. It's super detailed. Totally fits the tone of the story. And uh, I just think he did, did an excellent job. Well, I'm right with you guys. Uh, Enemy of the State's my favorite Wolverine story. Uh, and I do, I love Wanted. It's just kind of an out there, crazy uh, book that Miller does so well. And the one thing I will add is Kick-Ass. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have been reading that in the floppies or... Um, I'm waiting for the trade that's been... Likewise, trade waiting. Yeah, that hardcover was canceled once because the book was so late. And part of the book being so late was that he signed the movie, I think after like issue two had hit the stands, he already had a movie deal for the whole arc, which in the movie is in the can, so to speak. And I believe Lionsgate picked it up. I think, I think I'm gonna have to so. check my facts on that, but somebody definitely picked up the movie, and it's supposed to be like right after the new year, like in January, sometime. They're gonna sneak it out like with those Christmas movies and everything. So I'm looking forward to that. And McNiven, you know, I same sentiment as you guys. Really, I, I never heard of him before Civil War. I did really like the art, and I thought he was great in this. His style for the gore and and chaotic mess is like dead on. You know, for for me. It, it fits this story perfectly. Totally agree with you on that. It, it seemed to even fit more in this than it did in Civil War to me anyway. Yeah, I agree. All right. We'll just dive right into it. So what I'm going to do is we'll just kind of briefly go over like a synopsis of each issue, and then we're all just going to kind of jump in with you know what stood out to us in these issues and talk about a lot of the Easter eggs and themes and everything else in these issues. So 
Um, so I will start with chapter one, whichever we have this great wraparound story cover that, that hints out at a lot of the elements that we're going to see in the story about the, you know, the Venomosaurus Rex and Captain America and the Red Skull and Hawkeye and the Spider Buggy and the Hulks and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it was a really cool cover that, that set the tone for the book. So it starts out, and we see Wolverine kind of as this bloody mess walking through what looks like a forest. And at this point, all we know is that something happened to Wolverine 50 years ago. They, they call it the Night the Heroes Fell. And, and at this point, you know, we really don't know a whole lot more than that. We do know that Wolverine now has, he's, he's much older. You know, he's got, even though he ages very slowly, so he's, at this point, he's probably, you know, coming up close to 200 years old. And uh, so he's, you know, he's get, getting gray hair. Some of his, you know, even though he's got his healing factor, it looks like he's still got, all, you know, quite a few scars that haven't fully healed. He's just really rough and weathered, wrinkled um, old guy wearing this uh, duster riding a horse. And so we find out he's married. He has two, you know, two kids. He lives on a farm. And... You know, basically, in the first issue, it's it's kind of all set up to you know his, his children and his, what his his life is like, and we find out that he's behind on his rent, and uh, kind of hard times have fallen the the Logan Wolverine farm. So the grandchildren of the Hulk decide to show up, and because they want their rent money, they proceed to beat the living snot out of Wolverine for him being late on his rent, and says they'll be back in. 30 days for for double the amount, and you better have it or they're going to kill pretty much everybody. So at the very end, of course, when there's a typical hero's dilemma, there's a way out of the dilemma. And Wolverine's uh, ticket to financial freedom comes in the form of a blind Hawkeye, which I thought was awesomely funny and ironic both at the same time. And he's offered to pay him 500 bucks to basically be his guide and his eyes and his sight to drive him across country to the what was the former Washington, D.C., to deliver a package. Right off the bat, you know, when you get you get the scene of... First of all, the Hulk gang is awesome because it gets you thinking right away. You know, they're in that, they're in that Fantastic Four vehicle and they've, like, spray-painted over it that, you know... Um, I forget what it says. I don't have the page open. But they kind of, like, graffiti over the fours and, like, make it yeah. say... Unforgiven uh, and uh, dead and forgotten. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. So, so right away you're thinking like, how did how did Hulks end up being on the you know other side of the tracks in the scenario? And when they first show the giant like splash page of Wolverine like tearing into the Hulk, my first thought was you know great another Hulk versus Wolverine book, you know. And then you flip the page and he was just like dreaming it that he was gonna. It's his thoughts, like it's what he wants to do, but he's really now this totally different Logan that won't even defend himself. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a great twist. You know, it, it just, it worked for me. That little swap worked for me, you know, that little uh, twist on it. And by the way, the Hulk's hat says green neck on it, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, there's tons of, of little tidbits in there. But yeah, I thought the same thing you did, John, with the whole him gotten into um the one hall, the one banner i guess i should say and uh you know it's almost like that that I, I think i brought this up before but like in true lies when schwarzenegger's riding in that convertible with bill paxton and he starts making digs about his wife and he envisions him taking his head and slamming it or i think he's backhanding him right in the right in the nose and totally busting his nose open and right. then they cut and they're just both just sitting there laughing so 
Another thing uh, I'd like to say is I thought Hawkeye was a great choice. I mean, obviously making him blind is, is genius as well. But just the fact that it's Hawkeye, I mean, you know, he's kind of a, I don't want to call him B-list, but he is. You know, he's not he's not head of the pack in, in Marvel. And, you know, if it was Captain America or Spider-Man, you know, you'd almost expect that they would try to fight back. But Hawkeye's just kind of like accepted the whole scenario uh, of what's gone on, and you, it's almost believable that like a Hawkeye would, you know, what's Hawkeye going to do? He doesn't have any powers or anything really. You know, he's a great shot, but that's about it. So he's kind of gone to this underground trafficking or whatever he's up to uh, to survive, which I thought was just a good choice. You know, if if it was Steve Rogers, you probably wouldn't believe it. Yeah. When you find out what happened to the heroes and everything, it makes sense that it would be someone like Hawkeye. You know, Steve Rogers or, or Spider-Man or, or one of the major players obviously would have gone down, you know, when all the heroes went down. But someone like Hawkeye, like you said, John, could easily, you know, slip away. Yeah, <laughs> He doesn't stick out as much as, uh, you know, Crusher Creel or someone else like that, you know. Right. I, one of the things I really loved in this issue is this, uh, the new map of the United States that they throw in. Um, as they're about to take, you know, start on their trip, you see all these um, little st- points of interest that we're going to see along the, the line of the story. But then there are other ones that are just kind of thrown in there, like near near Austin, for instance, is a Cree Haven, and there's a negative zone op- opening also in Texas. And then you also see uh, Lair of the Creole Gang, which I guess is the Absorbing Man, uh, yeah, Creole, yeah, would, which is why I was right. thinking of it. And uh, it's just it's just cool to see how post Marvel uh, you know universe or whatever how everything's been carved up and, and taken over. You got the Lizard King down in Florida. It's, it's just kind of funny that you know these things that aren't even going to play any part in the story at all. Miller took the time to you know think about and fill in. Yeah, it makes the world feel you know a little more real, a little more lived in. Right, and I mean I remember I remember talking to Russ the day that this came out. You know, we were both like so excited and and saying, you know, who do you think the president is? You know, just that little tidbit that he threw you, you know, the the, the president's zone or whatever it's called, you, you know, and he doesn't name him, so you knew that you know the road went right through D.C. or whatever, so you knew you were going to meet him one day. But it was a perfect hook for a first issue. It had enough action. It wasn't all set up. It moved the story along, and it got you, you know, it asked the questions that get you rolling and interested. And the Spider-Mobile. Plus they're, driving, they're driving the Spider-Mobile, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how can you go That's along hilarious. there? And I thought it's awesome because it has, like, if you look at the tires, the tires look like the, you know, the webbing for the, for, um, like Spider-Man's webbing, which will, you know, play off big um, down the road, which I thought was awesome. We'll talk about that in a bit. But um, yeah, the Spider-Mobile is, like, the second most useless uh, superhero vehicle after the supermobile. <laughs> why? Why the heck does Superman need a car? You know, <laughs> think about it. Yeah. It has a cool fist that punch out though. That's true. The fists are cool. How about yes, the inv- <laughs> How about the invisible jet that didn't make Wonder Woman invisible, so you could just see her sitting in midair <laughs> as she flew the invisible jet? I always wondered how she. Could- control it with invisible controls. But anyway, it's a yeah. totally different comic book. <laughs> so, a couple other things that I noticed right off the, as we you know kind of finish up talking about issue one here is I love that his two kids are named Scott and Jade, which, you know, of course, Scott being a, a nod to Scott Summer Cyclops and, you know, Jade, the whole, you know, his whole fascination with Jean Grey and, you know, the whole red hair, green eyed, you know, woman. 
um, rose from his, you know, if anybody's read Wolverine Origin, you know, the, the original Wolverine story, he was teamed up, you know, his, I guess, first love, if you want to call it, was a red-haired woman with green eyes named Rose. And now we see his, um, I thought this was interesting, and his wife, is her name's Maureen, you know, again, red hair, green eyes, it looks like she's got green eyes. I think Miller's from, I think he's Irish or Scottish, and so I, I was curious because Scottish. of the, Scottish, yeah. I, I was wondering if this was kind of the tip of the hat to Maureen O'Hara, you know, because it's the whole woman named Maureen, the, the red hair, the green eyes kind of thing, you know, being kind of a period piece kind of set in. So. Could be. Kind of rereading it again, I kind of picked up on that. He definitely has a type that he likes. Yeah. So, our heroes have been given a challenge and their task, and they're off on their journey. So, as we head into issue two, they're still heading east. They find that the spider buggy is a pretty durable vehicle to be um, cruising around in um, as, as they're on their journey. They hit San Francisco. They find out that the Moloids, which I'm, I'm assuming are... You know, kind of tied into the whole Mole Man thing and, and all the creatures that were living underground that tie back into the Fantastic Four have basically taken back San Francisco and sunk the whole city. So Wolverine decides to get out, and um, him and Clint both get out, and they decide to look around for survivors and see if there's anyone around that maybe would need some help. Um, and then they run into the Ghost Riders game, which I thought was, was pretty cool. Wolverine refuses to ha- to fight. Hawkeye still doesn't really believe that, you know, Logan's kind of given up the, the old life. So Hawkeye ends up having to take them down. And then we get another flash of what happened to Logan 50 years ago that caused him to not want to fight and just kind of live the peaceful life again. So we'll kind of see this throughout the issues until we hit part five where he actually goes into, you know, what happened that made him, you know, the way he is. So the heroes show up in Hammer Falls. It's almost like a religious city. There's a bunch of trinket trinkets of the heroes. There's all these shops. There's tons of, we'll get into this in a bit, but there's tons of Easter eggs um, hidden in these pages here. Uh, Thor's Hammer is, is stuck in the middle of town. The main icon of, for all these folks and gives them hope is to see Thor's Hammer there, you know, with hope that Thor will come back. They run into Ultron 8, and Peter Parker's youngest daughter, who happens to be uh, Clint Bard and Hawkeye's third wife that he's never told Logan about. And the two find that their daughter has been captured by the Kingpin's men. And that's where we leave part two. I think my favorite Easter egg in all this is the guy who's sitting on the hood of his car with the sign that says Heroes Reborn, but it's clipped out. Yeah, that's and cool. Yeah. You see Cap Shield and like a Fantastic Four shirt and uh, a little Iron Man toy of the Heroes Reborn Iron Man and stuff. But uh, yeah, there are, it's, like you said, there are, there are nice little uh, shout-outs all through here. Did you notice Herbie the Love Bug? Yeah, page two. <laughs> <laughs> kind of in the corner. Yeah, that's, I thought that was pretty cool. And then the fight the, with uh, the Ghost Riders, I really got a total vibe off Hawkeye that reminded me of um, Oliver Queen in The Dark Knight Returns. Although, you know, he was missing an arm as opposed to, you know, Hawkeye missing his vision or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, st- still able to, you know, shoot an arrow. And just, just keep making noise, you know. Yeah, I thought it was cool. The Ghost Riders reminded me a lot of the Joker gang from Batman Beyond, you know, where it was kind of, they'd taken on this cult of this previous, well, in this case, previous hero or whatever. Um, they painted their faces, you know, kind of like the Joker gang in Batman Beyond, and they, you know, ride motorcycles and all spiked up, but it's kind of cool because their their bikes kind of have that, the flaming wheels and stuff like that, so it makes you wonder, you know, is there some connection they have to 
the ghost rider entity and to the, you know, that whole demonic side of things. And so, it's a, you know, again, it's, we'll see this time and time again throughout the rest of this is where, you know, what's the backstory to what we're seeing here? You know, we get these little snippets and stuff, and I think it's cool that they don't dwell on a lot of this stuff. It just kind of makes you think a little bit, you know, what's the history behind, you know, some of the stuff that we see. The Warriors is probably a movie that we should reference to when looking at this oh, book. Yeah. Oh, yeah, good point. You know, with gangs of face-painted, uh, I guess they're not cannibals yet, but cannibals is something you think about. That was more in, um, what do you call it, uh, that you said Doomsday had the cannibal gangs. Yeah. But Warriors is definitely, might be the first film that takes a look at, you know, post-apocalyptic, what's going to happen. You know, these gangs are going to form kind of like a tribal warfare type thing that always ends up developing. Kind of had a very 80s vibe to it, you know, for whatever reason. You know, kind of that, it kind of fit in that mold of a lot of the movies that came out during that time that were of that genre. This is where you start thinking that Hawkeye's just not being completely truthful with Logan. <laughs> you know, as, yeah, more, yeah. as more of the story opens up and, you know, he seems to have, first you don't know what he's delivering and now he's got his daughter is, I guess... Explain to me the genealogy again. His, who's his wife? I'm, I'm confused. Peter Parker's myself. youngest daughter. Okay, is his wife. So this is like right. the the daughter is like Spider Man's granddaughter. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, it, it, it gets a little confusing. Can you figure? And we'll get into that. And uh, well, I guess we. Just, you, you think that it's kind of interesting because in the current timeline, Spider Man doesn't have one daughter yet a youngest daughter, and you figure Hawkeye's probably in his 30s, so this is 50 years later, so, you know, he's got to be about 80 years old, and the fact that, you know, ends up getting together with Spider-Man's youngest daughter, who isn't even born yet, is a little weird, so he's probably in his 50s by the time he, you know, gets together with, right. you know, her when she's conceivably, I guess, you know, you know, anywhere from 18 to 20 or so. It's kind of interesting. And did, doesn't Spider-Man have a baby that, like, disappeared at some point? Or, like, they reckoned, or... Wasn't... Yeah, him and, yeah, him and Mary Jane did have a, have a baby, and the baby was taken by the jackal, I think. It was, it, I mean, and then, you know, spoiler alert for the whole, you know, a lot of the clone side of stuff, but it turned out that, you know, Green Goblin Norman Osborn was behind all of that, and so he was responsible, kind of, for taking the baby. And, yeah, it was one of those things where the baby just got taken, and that was that was it. They never resolved it. They never mentioned it really again, and that's pretty much all there is to it. Hawkeye's pimp. Yeah, that's about it. it. You know, it's interesting to see how much Logan's changed over the years because one of the things I find interesting is there's a, and we'll see this a couple times. Either, I don't know if it's just if it's something Miller consciously wrote into the script or if it's something that McNiven took it upon himself to do. But you'll see these panels when stuff happens where Logan looks scared half out of his mind or just really freaked out. I mean, when the when the spider buggy goes off the cliff and takes that big drop into the sand, that look on Logan's face is just like abject fear for a couple panels. And it's just so, you know, out of character for for him, being ruthless and fearless and mean and, you know, nasty as he was in his younger days to kind of see him after 20-some-odd, you know, almost 50 years of being kind of mellowed out. It, it's kind of interesting. And I love how the, the Moloids, you know, they kind of explain them away as being, you know, almost like population control. That basically when the Earth kind of hit 8 billion people, they started just swallowing up whole cities as population control. I like I think, that, uh, I, don't, I think I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but I just wanted to say I like that Ultron wears clothes. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's funny. Reminds me of uh, Atomic Robo or something. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's also kind of creepy that, I mean, I guess the way they're setting it up is Ultron 8 is, is Tanya's new husband. <laughs> <laughs> or, or at least companion, I, I guess, in the one sense. But that, I just thought that was kind of bizarre. Yeah, one of the other things, um, Jim, you know, Jim mentioned, we talked about on the page where there's all the Easter eggs. One of the, one of the other stores that's there is a place called Heroes for Hope which was, you know, kind of a nod back to the issue they did, Marvel did in the 80s. There was like an X-Men Heroes for Hope where it was like a issue that where the proceeds went to, I think it was famine relief in Ethiopia or something like that. It was it was kind of, you know, back when, when you know, that was, you know, a lot more, I guess, popular with the whole Live Aid, you know, thing and all that stuff going on. So I thought that was kind of neat. And we see the old guy in the Sentry costume. Right, back right. In the same panel. And yeah. I you, I, I kind of it made me kinda stop and do a double take a bit because you know the Sentry's kind of a wacky, crazy, you know, mentally unstable dude. So it makes you wonder: okay, is this old guy sitting there? You know, is there a possibility that he's really the Sentry, and that he's just kind of you know out of it in this small town and kind of out of shape now, or just hero worship? So I just I thought it was kind of funny to to you know see that. But that whole hammer being in the middle of the like the town square and all these people kind of worshiping about it. It reminded me of when you know, Thor's hammer shows up was in the middle of Oklahoma when all those people are trying to take turns at, at picking it up and right. you know, after after it falls through from, from after Ragnarok. Right. Disassembled, um, I think it's in, right? Or or I think it's in the Fantastic Four issue that is right coincides with Thor disassembled. We were talking about that when we did the Thor uh, trade. Yeah, it was like the road to Civil War. I think it, looking back through, I actually had the issue. It was like Fantastic Four 536. Right, because Doom explains how he makes it out of hell by following the the hammer, the hammer. Uh, back right. back into back to the earthly plane or whatever. Yeah, and then they show the they kind of pick it up and put it in his bag, and it has the the DB initials. But but just the the hammer just kind of be in there, you know, while all these people are kind of around it. It just you know same thing. It was a real close up on it as well. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then we get the interesting full page splash of the the woman in the you know quasi Spider Man costume you know, being held in jail. I thought that was kind of a, kind of interesting. Yeah, and as we move ahead, we'll learn that, you know, it's kind of fitting her look and her posture, and, you know, it, mm-hmm. sh- she doesn't exude that hero look. No, not at all. Not that I figured that out when looking at that one page, but, you know, you right. figure it out later on. Yeah, and especially, any more comments on issue two? No, that's good. I'm good, anyway. I'm good. So, Let's move on. Move it on. So, chapter three, like, like we mentioned, Tom, Tanya and Ultron seem to be married or at least um, acting as a couple or some sort of partnership. It's decided that uh, that Clint and Logan are going to go rescue Ashley. We get yet another flashback from, from Logan. They come to a city in Utah that the Moloids have, have destroyed, and there's just kind of this lone guy sitting on top of a church hanging out. You know, Hawkeye is ready to move on because there's nothing they can really do to save him. And, you know, Wolverine's a little shocked by the fact that, you know, they're not going to help this guy. They arrive in Salt Lake City, um, and they find we find a new Punisher and Daredevil, you know, chained up. And then we see that, you know, the Kingpin territory that we saw on the map, you know, the, I think the our you know brains just automatically thought of Wilson Fisk, especially when this happens. Um, but we find that it's definitely a very new kingpin, and is definitely not Wilson Fisk. Um, and this particular kingpin had taken over from Magneto because, as he as he put it, and I love, this is probably the best quote of the whole book. Um, he took over from Magneto because he made one mistake: Bitch got old. 
<laughs> That's the second time that somebody has been referred to as a bitch in this book, by the way. <laughs> so it's totally okay to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> we see that the Punisher and Daredevil are killed by a bunch of Tyrannosaurus Rexes. The spider buggy lives up to its name in this issue where it's, you know, they basically drive it along the side of a building, springboard it off the side of the building, and crash into Ashley's cell to, to rescue her. And then it ends with Wolverine being, being called to action here as we find that, that Ashley is not all that, uh, that she appears to be. Yeah, we see her in the Spider-Girl getup. We assume she's going to be heroic, but when then she just turns out to be another uh, pretender to the throne of Kingpin. And uh, when she takes out the new Kingpin, uh, I love the line, you know, when Hawkeye's like, is that as messy as it sounded? <laughs> yeah. She's like, more. <laughs> yeah, that was a real good twist again when she takes the head off of the new Kingpin, and that is some piece of art right there. Yeah, that half page, it's almost like it's extra sharp or it has even extra detail. Like he took a little bit more time on that half page. That's that's fantastic. And, it, you know, it speaks a lot to the coloring. I think, you know, one of the things that I've really noticed, and especially in Civil War, too, is Maury Hollowell's colors are just absolutely phenomenal. The, you know, what he does with shading and tone and everything else just really comes across and you know, to see that, you know, kind of splatter and, and spurt pattern and everything else, you know, that that's all coloring right there. So, you know, the combination of the, you know, the, I, I think, you know, it just all comes together on this page. The pencils, the inks, and, and the colors just really are, are, are outstanding. Yeah, those neutral backgrounds really set everything off, too. Yeah. That's um, going on in the foreground. But she decapitates him with a shotgun. That's just awesome. And, and not in the way you think. <laughs> It's kind of funny going back to... Not the easy way. <laughs> yeah, not the easy way. She does it the hard way. I guess that's where the, the spider strength comes to play. Going back to the beginning of the issue, it's towards the beginning, the guy that's hanging on the top of the church, you know, that's kind of half buried in the sand, I think that's supposed to be Mark Miller. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of Mark Miller, but it looks... It does look like kind of, him. I guess it could he, be. Yeah, he has a very strong resemblance to, to Mark Miller. So I just thought that was kind of... Because I was... Yeah, I kept wondering, well, why did they stick this randomness in there? Um, and then when they kind of close up on them, you know, in the short hair like that, I kind of thought about it. I was like, yeah, I wonder if that was just their way to kind of, you know, work in, you know, art-wise into the story. I just thought that was kind of cool. It would make sense because there really is no reason for the character to be there otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless they're just trying to accentuate the fact that, you know, you know, Logan still kind of got a, a soft spot, but... but well, it was, it was kind little, of foreshadowing the um, the upcoming thing with the Moloids as well, too, though. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of interesting. I thought I liked the nice little twist with the Kingpin in himself. Like I said, they you know they kind of set things up to where your brain is is focused on you know one thing. Where when you see the name Kingpin, you know the first thing you you think of is Wilson Fisk, and then we see this kind of um, this guy almost remind you know the new Kingpin. I guess you'd call him almost kind of reminded me of you know Luke Cage the. You know the bald head and the you know I guess the you know the, the you know the the name Kingpin across the belt because I think I guess now it doesn't isn't his belt say Cage on his on his belt the, the new style they drawn yeah yeah it's it's a very uh, kind of like new gangster yeah. thing that they have going on and like a lot of the piercings and stuff yeah so I'm curious I mean they never mention him by name so I'm curious to see if you know if they're you know he's some sort of ancestor to uh, to Luke Cage or something like that. I think that would 
it'd be kind of interesting. Again, you know, it's just stuff they just kind of throw out there, and you know, they don't they don't delve into. So it makes you wonder, you know, if they ever decide to come back to this world, there's still a whole lot of stuff they can they can flesh they can flesh out. So I thought it was cool too to see again, you know, spider buggy, you know, driving up the side of a building. I just thought that was kind of cool. So it's, it's truly a spider buggy. And then, of course, the whole double cross at the end, I thought it was just a really, you know, like we mentioned earlier, just a really cool stroke to kind of see, you know, how, you know, again, once you once you think things are, you know, meant to be a certain way, you know, Miller kind of throws that twist, especially at the end of an issue to kind of leave you on a cool cliffhanger. At least at this point, you know, Wolverine has a call to action here. You know, he's got a, you know, he's kind of been forced in, into a point where he has to do something. Otherwise, you know, Hawkeye's going to bite the dust here. Yeah, the twists are what really kept me coming back. I mean, I, I probably would have been reading it anyway because it's just a cool Wolverine story, but he, he kept us on our toes, you know? Like you said, he'd, he'd kind of pull a bait and switch every issue, you know? Get you thinking one thing or even just out of habit, you're thinking something, and then, you know, he pulled the rug out a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. All right. Issue four? Yes, and I guess we should say that issue four is actually uh, Wolverine issue 69, Right, and we started with what sixty six as part one. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Yeah, part one was sixty six. This is part four, so it's it's issue number sixty nine. This ran in the ongoing Wolverine up until the giant size. Is that what? Yeah. Yeah. It had some breaks. I mean, it was late. It it had a break at one point. I think Wolverine seventy four maybe was supposed to be the finale, and then they ended up doing kind of like a fill in issue. You would know better, Russ. You should probably speak on it. Yeah, the, you know, what What happened was that it got later and later and later, and they needed to move on a lot of it to do, you know, Dark Wolverine, you know, because, because they, you know, at 75, it took over with Dark Wolverine. So what they ended up doing was, you know, 73 and 74, came, 73 came out before um, 70, uh, 72. So it was really kind of bizarre. 72 was the seventh part of this eight-part saga. So we, we actually got Wolverine 73, then Wolverine 72, and then Wolverine 74. Um, and 73 and 74 were kind of these, it was like a two-part, there was a main two-part story you know, written by Jason Aaron, and then there were some other guest writers and artists that made up some mini-stories and stuff like that on it. Um, and then when they decided, when they knew, I guess it was going to be really late, when by the time 72 came out, they knew that they were going to be really behind and it was going to fall off the monthly radar because they had to move on given what they were doing with Dark Rain. They decided to make it its own, you know, giant size one shot that was to come out, you know, I guess at this point it ended up coming out almost five months after the fact. So, Seriously. so you're saying that Steve McNiven was late with art? Wow. I'm shocked. <laughs> Yeah, I think when we get to the end, I think we'll talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what our thoughts on what maybe this should have been and, and you know, what it'll be down the road and, and stuff like that. But, yeah, I think the, I think lateness is a huge... I mean, you can't really talk about this book and talk about the story without really talking about that because it was, you know, my opinion, such a big part of the story, and especially when we get to the ending, um, I think people had different... Uh, felt differently about the ending based on, you know, the lateness and, and whatnot. So, issue four. We get Logan rescuing Hawkeye with the buggy. Ashley sends some, some of her goons to give chase. Uh, the Moloids create a huge fissure that they all fall into, and they eat everyone but Wolverine and Hawkeye. Chased by a bunch of dinosaurs, 
and we see kind of the Venom creature hanging around in the background, find out what happened to Loki. We get the first hint of who the president is on this huge double-page splash that we get of Mount Rushmore. Then we get to a bar in Des Moines, Iowa, and we get another flashback to what happened to Logan. And then as he's kind of thinking back on his you know, life and how you know, happy he is and worried about his family, he starts to kind of tear up. One of the local bullies in the bar kind of makes fun of him, and he takes the guy out and, and darn near pops his claws right through him. Um, Clint kind of pulls him off and asks him you know, to tell him what really happened. And the ending of this issue was, okay, sit down I'll, and I'll tell you. So great way to, you know, again, another great cliffhanger ending because this is what we've been looking for, you know, so far, you know, this is part four and we still want to know what happened that, you know, he's become this pacifist and this, you know, man who refuses to fight. Um, so we finally get to the end of issue four and we realize we have to wait another month, which I think at this point it ended up being probably closer to two months um, to find out what exactly happened. Yeah, I remember this being like, I think the longest, one of the longest uh, waits or maybe this is when it got really late. Yeah, this is um, when it really started to catch up to being to being. And my favorite part in this issue is when they're uh, doing their little travelogue. They go to Pacepot Creek, Wyoming, and he explains why there's so many dinosaurs all over the Great Plains. And then they go and uh, Wolverine's like, "What the hell is that?" And he goes, "Well, if it's a Manhattan skyscraper lying on top of a huge big guy, that'd be the Baxter Building." <laughs> yeah. You know, Hawkeye's like real matter of fact about it. And, Wolverine's like, who's the guy? And he says, that's Thor's half-brother, Loki. You missed yourself one hell of a fight that night. <laughs> it's almost like so. talking about Elect- it. Electroville's like, it looks like it's out in the Badlands still, like out in Utah or something. And yeah, there's yeah. like, you know, the corpse of Loki with the Baxter building crush on top of him, way, you know, that far from Manhattan. Yeah, he talks about it almost like it was like a bar fight that night that he just, you know, decided to stay in and didn't go out to see... So again, it's you know it's another nod or allusion to something big that happens that we know nothing about the details, but you know something we definitely want to know. I mean, who who doesn't want to know what happened to the Baxter Building and Loki that caused them to be out in the middle of Utah and have a building dropped on them? I mean, and why are all these uh, towns named after villains? Yeah, like Pacepot Creek, you know, Pacepot Pete, and Electroville and stuff like that. That's never really explained either. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. One Miller book that we didn't bring up was 1985. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty good. I wasn't like blown away by it. I thought the premise was really cool and it was definitely different and I appreciated that. It just wasn't my cup of tea. But that being said, weren't they saying at some point that these books were going to kind of like interconnect somehow? Like the. Yeah. uh, Did that ever happen? Did that ever. I don't think that ever came to fruition. Yeah, um, I guess we you know we can toss it in now and talk about it. Um, what the, the deal, as I understand it, and I, I have not read Miller's Fantastic Four run, but supposedly that's what really ties this all to these threads together is Miller's Fantastic Four run, and then the following Fantastic Force limited series that they put out that kind of was to carry forward to some of the stuff they brought into Miller's run. So I did some kind of digging around because I was curious about that myself because I, I did get 1985. I'm kind of similar to you with that, John. I did like it. You know, a lot of it, I think, a lot of why I liked it was more nostalgia than, I think, true story. Um, I think it had a cool ending, which was good. I think a lot of times lately we read these stories and we get to the end and we're really disappointed. And I think I think this one kind of had a really cool, upbeat ending to it. So, so that was a nice surprise. But the... 
and this will be, you know, I guess, spoiler alert for 1985 and Miller's FF run in some degree. But what I was able to kind of piece together is the Clyde Winchester character, who was kind of the the one that was in the mental hospital in 1985 that lived in that house that all the villains were kind of in that spooky house that nobody wanted to go go to. Right. He, you know, at the end of the story, him and and the and Toby, the boy's father, were taken to the Marvel universe of 1985. So, you know, the the story took place in what was considered our world or the real world of 1985. So, at the end of the story, Clyde Winchum and and Toby's father were taken to the Marvel Universe of 1985. And as it turns out, the Clyde Winsham character, who had the ability to kind of control other people and to raise the dead and do crazy stuff like that, became this character called the Marquis of Death. And in Miller's Fantastic Four run, the Marquis of Death was the one that went back in time, I guess, and found Doom when he was first starting out and kind of trained him to be the villain he became. And then ended up doing some crazy stuff and took over the world or had, you know, kind of came back and fought the FF and Doom, and he was a big part of that of that Miller run. And then there was a future version of Sue Storm, who who's leading another version of the Fantastic Four that came back in time to, to I guess, fight this Marquis of Death or fight Doom or something like that. And one of the two, two of the characters in there were an older version of Wolverine they called him the man with the cloak or something like that, or the man with the brown cloak is how he was referred, and it was an older, older even than this version of Wolverine. And there was a version of Bruce Banner, the Hulk, that called, he called the you know, Logan, or Wolverine the man in the, in the cloak, I guess, or whatever, he called him father, or called him pop, or called him dad, or something like that. So, supposedly, it's this future, at the end of Old Man Logan, as we'll, as we'll see, you know, Logan has a baby and goes on, and they think what it is is that the future version of Sue Storm recruits him and the and the Banner Kid to become this new Fantastic Four to kind of re, reunite the the heroes of this dead Earth and try and rebuild it. So I guess that's kind of the tie that, that pulls it all together. But, well, there's a little bit in here that ties into that too. When they're going through South Dakota and they see venom like strung up all over the side of the mountain, they said they know what happened to Ben and Johnny, but they they never nobody really knew what happened to Reed and Sue. Right, and then right. Wolverine is like, well, maybe they'll come back to save the world, you know, like the old days. So that that kind of ties into that storyline as well. Yeah. Yeah, the reason I just wanted to bring it up was because what you guys were saying, you know, that he was leaving these threads all over the place and kind of building, you know, this future world. And hopefully we'll we'll get more stories out of it. And that seemed to – the fact that I had heard that they were going to tie in 1985 – seem to play into that, which is cool that they did. I thought they kind of went by the wayside, but I guess they actually did connect them. Yeah, I mean, you've been talking pretty highly of the Hickman Fantastic Four run, which leads directly from the Miller Fantastic Four run. So, I'm, you know, being that I've read this and I've read 1985, I'm, I'm seriously thinking about getting, you know, it in trade, getting the Miller Hitch Fantastic Four run in trade and continuing on with the Hickman run to see how this, you know, see if maybe I can make more sense of it instead of reading it, you know, based on reviews and posts and stuff online to, to see how this all ties together. Right. That was my half-baked attempt at trying to explain that mess. Good job. <laughs> so part four, you know, is, is pretty straightforward. You know, overall, I mean, again, they're just continuing on their journey. We see, you know, a couple little things here and there. The only thing that really bugged me, and you tell me if, you, if it bugged you guys, was when that fissure opened up and they all fell into it, it seems like they fell a long, long way, and yet they didn't seem to die. 
Um, and and that the spider buggy was still intact. Um, it just needed to be flipped over, and they just climbed their way out. It, I don't know. It just seemed like, I mean, uh, you know, I realize it's all funny books and whatnot, but it just seemed a little strange that they would fall that far and not have died. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, see where you're coming from. It, it didn't bug me. I, I just kind of shut my brain off. But, uh, you know, I, I'm capable of that. I'm an 80s action fan, so I don't <laughs> I don't say the car should, probably should have at least stalled or broken a window. <laughs> Very good. But I love the two-page splash we got of um, Mount Rushmore with the uh, with the Red Skull as being the fifth addition to Mount Rushmore. I thought that was pretty crazy. Yeah, definitely. And then, of course, the bar they settle in at, at the end is called Miller's. Which is, again, another nod in there. I thought it was pretty cool. All right, so part five. four, yeah, part five. So this is the big one. You know, this is kind of, like I said, this is where we've been leading up, you know, all this time. So I'll just do a quick synopsis and then, you know, kind of talk about it. So so it starts out with Wolverine um, and the X-Men are being assaulted at the mansion by just a slew of supervillains. It seems like they're just crawling out of the woodwork. And we find that Wolverine starts systematically killing them all. And then we find out that Furio was behind the whole thing and he really convinced Wolverine that all the villains he saw, or that, that they were really villains he saw, when in fact they were all the X-Men. just turns out that Mysterio faked them out to think, you know, not only just by sight, but by smell. So he was able to totally convince him that it were all the, villain, all the villains, and then he ends up just laying out all of his friends and heroes. And then at the end, he kick, you know, after he tells his story, you know, they, they get back on the road again, and then we find out they're being chased by Venomosaurus Rex that's uh, coming up behind them. First off, I think Miller, I mean, if you had to come up with a reason for Wolverine to put his claws away and stop being Wolverine, essentially, then this is a great answer to that. This is a great um, plot device to get him to that point. This is the only thing I could really think of that would cause him to do you know, to go against his warrior nature or whatever, is if he had done something this heinous. And uh, my, I think, actually, you know, uh, with the big reveal and everything, one of my favorite parts of this issue, I, you kind of glossed over it, I think, is uh, the toll, uh, Dwight's yeah. toll. They come to yeah. a, a bridge, and there's this uh, this uh, kid, he's got the Ant-Man helmet. He's like, give me 80 cents, or I'm going to stick the ants on you. And Wolverine thinks he's joking. But uh, Hawkeye knows better, gives him the money says, oh, no, that kid was serious. That was 80 cents well spent. And the camera pans away, and you see the giant pile of people who had not paid the toll, <laughs> their remains underneath the bridge. But um, I thought, but getting back to uh, what causes Wolverine to hang up his claws, so to speak, or whatever, I really, uh, I thought that Miller really took that you know, idea and was like, well, okay, what would cause Wolverine to hang it up and then to put it away, you know, his guns, as it were. And uh, sure enough, I mean, that, that would do it. <laughs> and we also get the spaghetti western flavor here again, you know, the, the old gunfighter who puts away his, his bullets, you know, and is trying to, to lead, a, you know, a life without violence, and yet violence keeps finding him, you know, kind of like Unforgiven. Yeah. I, I gotta say, Miller got me again. You know, I <laughs> I, I guess I'm a sucker. I, I'm reading it, and I'm thinking, all right, I guess doing all of this killing, you know, even if it were villains, just finally got to Wolverine and he didn't want to kill anymore. You know, and then you turn the page and it's Jubilee in his hand. It is Jubilee, right? Not uh, that one scene he's holding Bullseye, I think it is. And then you turn the page and he's actually holding Jubilee. And and then the next page, it's like all the dead, like, heroes all over the room. 
you know, he just he sucker punched me. I I, I was <laughs> I was just starting to feel like, all right, you know, I guess he killed so many villains that he just couldn't kill anymore. And then, you know, he got me. So that's what I loved about this series. Yeah, it was pretty strong. I mean, one of the the other things that this set up for me is we're not really sure is this supposed to be a future version of the current Marvel Universe? Is this some sort of alternate timeline? And so right off the bat, you know, at the beginning of the issue, we see Wolverine talking to Jubilee, and it's the, you know, kind of the classic Jubilee, I guess I'll call it, you know, where she's got the yellow trench coat and the, you know, the pink sunglasses, you know, on the top of her head and the blue shorts and stuff like that. And, you know, in the current Marvel Universe, A, she's been out of that getup for almost 16, 17 years now. She's depowered as of, of M-Day. So the fact that, you know, this is conceivably still a powered, you know, Jubilee that's still, you know, kind of in a prime of hanging out with the X-Men, I, I think that kind of said again that this is, this is a Marvel 616, this is Marvel, you know, XYZ or whatever. I'm sure somebody either has or will give it a, a, a three-digit number for what universe it belongs to. But Yeah, and I mean, we're going to, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but well, I'll leave it at this. The eating habits of the Hulk family <laughs> is, is something is something that you've seen in the Ultimate Universe. Right, right. And again, you know, Miller's connection with the Ultimates and everything, you know, it makes you wonder what, you know, what exactly he's doing. It's kind of like a hybrid best of universe for him, you know? He's picking his favorite parts and, and running with that. Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was kind of cool, you know, again, I think part of it is, uh, it's interesting to see McNiven's take on some of these, you know, villains. Some of them are pretty close. Somewhat new, you know, stylings, I guess you'd call it, of, of these villains. You know, we get a we get a full range. I mean, it, I, I guess it would have been easy for them to just plop in a bunch of X, you know, men-centric villains to take them down. But, you know, we get like Claw and the Shocker and Mr. Hyde and Doc Ock and, you know, Stripe is a classic X-Men villain, but, and Omega Red, of course, but. Yeah, that was you know, pretty interesting how you know, it just starts you know like that, and then you know basically a good portion of this issue are just a bunch of you know splash type pages where it's just nothing but you know violence and blood and gore and you know Wolverine you know just going to town on on all these guys. And I thought it was thought it was pretty cool, and then of course we get to the end, and I love that we get we got Gambit and Iceman and Psylocke and Colossus, and Cannonball, Storm, Nightcrawler. You know, of course, Jubilee, Cyclops, Forge, Polaris, and even Beast. And I guess, you know, at this point, Polaris is still in outer space with Havoc and that whole, you know, crew. They're still in outer space after the whole fall of the Shire Empire. So, oh, even Longshot's in there. So depending on when this takes place, it's kind of interesting. It's, you know, we get, again, we get more mentions that something's not right. Yeah. You know, really cool double-page spread that we get there, especially Beast, you know, just being skewered on that you know, wood poster, whatever it is, just really graphic. It's also interesting that we get a villain that Wolverine's never really faced before, and yeah. that's the villain that's able to, you know, by by using Wolverine, is able to take out the entire X-Men uh, crew. Yeah. I really appreciate... Yeah, yeah. And I really appreciate the use of the use of his power... You know, sometimes you get people that are unhappy with a book or unhappy with a character, and they'll say, oh, well, if Magneto can do that, why didn't he just rip Wolverine apart? Because he's got a metal, you know, you know what I mean? Like, th there's always those villains that they have these awesome powers, but they never just go all out. Well, Mysterio just went all out. You know, if, <laughs> if yeah. you had the power to make anything 
seem real, then you would definitely turn the you know the strongest or the best fighting hero against everybody else. I was kind of surprised yeah. it wasn't Mastermind. Uh, that would have been more of an X Men shout out, but it was cool that they used Mysterio. I thought. Well, that was the awesome thing when I first you know flipped the page and you know I just I was focused on that one page, and I saw Jubilee in his arms, you know, and the stuff's kind of swirling away on the previous page, and that's the person I thought of was Mastermind, and then he flipped the page and it's Mysterio, and I I thought that was really cool because if it was Mastermind, Mastermind hasn't exhibited the power to be able to change the way people smell, you know, smell. And I think that was the, you know, the big thing with them using Mysterio, not only the ability to create the illusion of what you're seeing, but it, it fooled all his senses. And I think, you know, that's kind of the, the period at the end of the sentence as far as why Wolverine decided not to use his claws anymore is he got to the point where he felt like he can't trust himself anymore. You know, he's always been able to rely on his senses. You know, if he, if, if he sees something but it doesn't smell right, if he smells something and it doesn't look right, or, you know, any combination of that, He's always been able to kind of figure out, you know, what's behind it. And for him to get to the point where he can't trust his own eyes and can't trust his own senses anymore, you know, he's way too dangerous to just be left unchecked. So I, I thought it was really cool. And I love that the, the animals are kind of running away from him even. It's so bad, you know, that he's, he's in such a state. And, you know, that, that the animals even sense, sense the anger and the aggression and everything. Yeah, it was it was crazy. It was <laughs> it was jarring. It was yeah. definitely uh, it was it was good stuff. Something that I don't think I've read anything quite like that. You know, where a, 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 such a big time hero, like an A list hero, had that something like that happen. You know, there's been accidents and stuff, but uh, you know, nothing like this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The other thing, too, is I, I thought was interesting is this, and I've I, I seen it up to this point, and we see it even more when, the, you know, when the kid with the Ant-Man helmet makes him pay the toll, is the toll's 80 cents. And, you know, earlier in the story that, you know, Hawkeye's going to pay Wolverine 500 bucks, and that's going to be more than enough for his, you know, rent, it sounds like, for several months. So it sounds like the scale of money in this world, or, you know, I guess in this post-apocalyptic world, is much more shrunk than it is for us. If somebody could get away with, you know, 500 bucks paying their rent for three or four months or whatever, that would, you know, it's just unheard of. Um, <laughs> you know how many Blu-rays I could buy with the leftover? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the whole 80 cent toll. And then we'll see it, you know, down the road when, you know, he talks about his $600, you know, vehicle as the, you know, the, the Spider-Mobile. So I just, I just thought that was interesting how you know, it seems like the, the monetary scale, you know, money is, I guess, not as, is you know, worth mu- worth as much, or there's not as much stuff I guess to buy anymore. So, money's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah I love that. Touch. Def- definitely a cool, like a, a detail that you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the uh, the we get the again, you know, another you know cliffhanger type ending after you know having been on the emotional roller coaster that is Wolverine taking out the entire X Men crew is um, we get this Venom you know, Venomosaurus Rex or whatever you want to call it, where, you know, Venom has lodged itself and attached itself to a T-Rex, which I thought was pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely a Jurassic Park shout-out right there, right? That scene with the T-Rex oh, yeah. chasing the Jeep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just waiting for him to show it, like, in the rearview mirror or something. Right, like right. In front of behind him. It's funny, that's how I remembered it in the book, but I guess I was just making the connection. 
Mm-hmm. Like I was expecting to see the panel when I read it again, and I was like, oh, I guess I was just expecting it the whole time, and it never actually yeah. happened. Well, part six, this one has, I think, probably my favorite cover of the whole series so far, where we get the you know the picture of Wolverine and all the bullet holes in his skull, and all you know the smoking bullet holes, and you know they're kind of glowing still from hitting the you know adamantium, I imagine, and, and all the blood dripping down. I just thought that was a really cool cover image. Yeah, definitely. For this one, even though there's probably like seven covers to, to given how many printings this thing went through. So it starts off with they're still running from the T Rex that they were shown in the last issue, and a familiar set of blue lips. Who immediately, kind of when I saw this, I thought, "Ooh, Emma Frost." Um, that's kind of her signature, you know, look um, with the with the blue lips. She calls out Black Bolt. Black Bolt steps in front of the car and whispers the word "stop," and it just totally flat. Venomosaurus here because Venom is very uh, vulnerable to sonics and to sound and Black Bolt having the speech power is the you know, smallest whisper you know like the loudest you know, thunder that you can possibly imagine so I thought that was a really cool touch genius <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> if they've never locked Black Bolt and Venom up before you know why not <laughs> well, it's a great place to start so then they go to see Emma she's using her side power to make her appearance look basically however she wants people to see her, which I thought was pretty cool. She offers to fix up the buggy for them. They have a, a bit of an exchange on the way down. We see Dr. Doom watching them as they leave, which I, th- I thought, was, thought was interesting. They continue on their journey. They hit Pim Falls, which has to be one of the most awesome two-page two page spreads in comics I think I've ever seen in my entire life. You see the, the skeleton of a... 100 foot or whatever, Hank Pym dead laying out across the road, and they basically created a tunnel to it. I thought it was pretty sweet. But then finally, after this long, long journey, they make it to New Babylon, which we find out is the lair of the Red Skull, um, and it's his domain. So they they go into a bar, they meet up with somebody named Tobias, um, who this is the contact that Hawkeye has. This is who they've been looking to go through the whole time. We find out that in the suitcase are 99 vials of the super soldier formula, and Hawkeye is thinking that their whole purpose for him to go here is to meet with the kind of this underground resistance that's going to start up, you know, a new, you know, basically create 99 super soldiers that are going to band together and try and overthrow all these super villains. And his payment is he wants one of the vials, and then they give, you know, he makes sure they give Wolverine the money so he can get back. They find out it's basically a big old double cross. And Tobias works for S.H.I.E.L.D., which is under control of the Red Skull. They shoot Wolverine, try and, or attempt to shoot him to smithereens. Hawkeye's all surprised. Um, <laughs> you'd think the Hitler mustache and haircut would have tipped him off. <laughs> yeah, you'd think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we get kind of Hawkeye being uh, resistant, tells him to do his worst. Tobias says okay and shoots Hawkeye right in the head and kills him. And that is the way we end part six. Again, awesome, awesome cliffhanger. The whole part with Emma really makes sense with her character because she's totally vain. And oh, yeah. she would pro- that would, she would project like herself as still being young and beautiful or whatever into the mind of everyone around her. Makes total sense for the character. So that was a good call on Miller's part. Yeah, I, I totally see her being like this 350-pound old wrinkly woman, you know, that's sitting around eating cake and, you know, bonbons or whatever all day because she can just make people, you know, people just would look at her any way she wants them to see her, so she really, you know, probably at this point doesn't care. But that was really cool. Who um, wouldn't? 
I'd never have yeah. real pants on. <laughs> wow, I never thought of that, but yeah. <laughs> so this is where we get to the bit, you know, when they're talking. That, there's a lot of stuff that comes out in this conversation with Emma that they had at the beginning. And uh, this is where, you know, again, I mentioned earlier that Hawkeye mentions about a $600 automobile. And, you know, because Emma's a mind reader, we get this awesome exchange. She goes, first of all, the Spider-Mobile didn't cost you anything, Hawkeye. You wanted playing cards with the Mandarin 20 years ago. And even then, you were cheating with a plant and an earpiece. So I thought that was awesome. Again, we get this, this tale of something that happened that would just be cool to, yeah. to get the details of it. I mean, you know, who else was at this card game other than Hawkeye and the Mandarin 20 years ago, you know, where, where the Mandarin has possession of the Spider-Mobile. So again, it's just like all these layers of things that, that have gone on in this world that, that just sound really cool that, you know, we may never find out the details on. So I thought that was, I thought that was really awesome. The other thing we find out, and this is a big one too, is that I guess M Day either either still applied or you know some other variants of it. But you know, basically, she says mutancy was just like kind of like a flash in the pan on the evolutionary you know calendar. That you know they weren't the next stage; they were just kind of a blip on the radar. She mentions that there's only 20 mutants left in the world now, and there hasn't been a single one born in almost 40 years. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Just taking another, you know, known status quo in the Marvel universe that, you know, they, they always have talked about how the mutants are, you know, the humans are, are so, they look down upon the mutants, but the mutants are really like the next phase of evolution. And, you know, and he just took it and made it, you know, not so. Like it was a, yeah. not a lie, but they were just wrong the whole time, you know? Yeah, they were just there for, you know, whatever, the hundred years or, you know, whatever they're whatever their period was, that was it. They had their, their moment, their time. So the other thing that I thought was interesting was as we see, you know, we get this exchange too with Emma where they talk about, you know, who she married and all that stuff. And then we see Doom and given where they are in, in the in the U.S. and we see Doom overlooking ahead. I'm taking that to mean that that, to, that Emma married Doom. Yeah, I would think that's that's fair. You know, order to kind of, I thought Emma you know, married Black Bolt because he was like, "Well, you had Black Bolt, you know." No, because he said, oh. "Yeah, he said something about who." Hold on, let me see if I can find it. He said about who she married, and she she gave a reason for it, and he he basically calls her out on it because she had because she had Black Bolt. Oh, she said. I'm a survivor, Hawkeye. Marrying my husband saved a lot of mutant lives. And he said, oh, don't give me that. You had Black Bolt on your side. Right, so that would make you think that it was somebody other than Black Bolt. Right, right. Like, he didn't need to marry, you know, this, quote, unknown person at this point because Black Bolt was already on their side and he was, you know, powerful enough. So I thought that was just kind of a cool twist that Emma, you know, again, the conniver, he's kind of gotten with... uh, gotten with Doom because it suits her purpose. And of course, you know, Scott's dead at this point. But it's also kind of interesting too. If Wolverine, you know, was kind of known for taking down the X-Men, you know, again, it's another, another nod to me that this world is different than our own. I think Emma would have a lot of animosity towards Wolverine, a lot of hatred towards Wolverine, even if he was being manipulated because he took down Cyclops and, you know, all of, you know, at, at that point in time, Emma would have been, you know, with the X-Men and a part of that team and in love with Scott, and, you know, with Scott, um, Cyclops. And so the fact that she doesn't, she's kind of looking out for him and helping him along their way. Again, I'm, I'm curious if, if in this reality, 
you know, Emma and Scott are, you know, ended up being an item or not. So I just, I just thought that was kind of interesting. And then, of course, the, you know, the biggest thing of all is the fact that this is part six. We've been following this thing the whole way through. And, you know, one of our two main characters is taken out, you know, before the ending. And it was just like, I saw that and I just, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I saw him got shot, you know, you see him get shot in the chest at first. And you're like, oh, okay, you know, maybe he'll, you know, kind of limp along until the end or whatever. And when he puts that bullet right between the eyes, I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. That was about the biggest holy crap moment until you see the cover of 72. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then you're like, oh. <laughs> so, uh, so, issue seven then? Issue seven. This one, I'll be honest with you, is probably my favorite issue in the whole series. I really, really, really like this one. Um, you know, starting, of course, with the cover. So, issue seven, we get a flashback to the skull having taken over DC, you know, Washington DC's at ruins at this point. We see what is conceivably the Bucky version of Cap laying there, and then the skull comes up and kills him by putting his eyes out. Then we flash forward to the present day, and we see that the skull is still wearing Cap's costume and has this trophy case of all the items that he's collected since, since they've taken over behind him. Uh, Wolverine wakes up after being shot multiple times. He fights the skull's goons. Skull attacks Wolverine with the Black Knight sword. Wolverine um, blocks with Cap's shield and takes his head clean off um, with Cap's shield, using it like a, like a sword. Wolverine then takes the money, takes, looks and takes Iron Man's armor, suits up, and then rockets himself back west to get back home to pay off the Hulk gang to, to save his family. And we find that he's, in fact, too late. His family's been killed, and that's the last straw. Claws come out, and that's how the issue ends. And five months later, we get to find out what really happened. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever think you'd be that excited to see Wolverine pop his claws again? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's something that uh, he took a concept that, if anything, people are complaining they see it all too often. <laughs> and it was like the yes moment in the book. I like the little bit at the beginning where the Red Skull explains how they all divvied up the United States. You know, the Abomination went to the West Coast. You know, Magneto wanted Vegas. Guess who gets the White House? Yeah, and then uh, I also really like the, his uh, trophy room where he's got Thor's helmet and Spidey's masks, you know, Silver Surfer's uh, board or whatever. The only part of this whole issue that did not ring true for me was when, after Wolverine and Red Skull fought, and, and Wolverine's about to decapitate him, and Red Skull looks at him and says, "You don't have the guts." I'm thinking to myself, Red Skull knows who Wolverine is, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, Wolverine, Wolverine would kill him in a New York minute. <laughs> you know, yeah. it just. Uh, that was the only part that didn't quite ring true for me. Otherwise, I agree, you know, stellar issue, really great, cool confrontation between the two of them. It makes sense that the skull would be in the White House gloating over his victories even 50 years later. Yeah. And Russ, yeah, on, yeah. That, um, on that same page that uh, Jim was just talking about where he's about to decapitate him, uh, mm -hmm. you can see Century's suit in the showcase in the left yeah. panel. So I guess yeah. we know that that wasn't the real Century back. Uh, well, I guess it still could be, but... Seems like he took yeah. Century down with all these other heroes as well. Yeah, I have a. I actually went through one of the things I did in my notes was to try and go through and pick out all these Easter eggs of all the of all the items that he has in his cases and kind of scan the page in and blew it up, all that kind of stuff. So I'll go through the list quick of all the stuff that I saw 
um, hanging in the background or in, in the cases. Silver Surfer's Book and Board, Doctor Strange's Cloak, Spider-Man's Mask and Web Shooters, Thor's Helmet, Daredevil's Baton and Chest Symbol, Iron Man's Armor, Cyclops' Visor, Thing's Hand, Vision's Head, Marvel's Megabands, Nova's Helmet, Angel's Wings, Punisher's Shirt and you know, Guns, Hulk's Pants, Nightcrawler's Tail, Iron Fist's Hood, Moon Knight's Cowl, Cap's Original Shield, the, the, the diamond-shaped kind of one, Black Knight's Sword, Beast's Torso, uh, Falcon, Falcon's Costume and Red Wing, Cloak's Cloak, Sentry's um, Belt and Cape, Ghost Rider's Jacket, Electra's Size, Black Panther's Cowl, and you got to tell me what you think, but you know, we said we never knew what happened to, to Mr. Fantastic, but to me, it seems like the thing that he's got, it's, it's almost like it's stretched out in, on the back of, of one of the walls. It's like a square thing with a four on it, and it has a bunch of holes in it. I'm wondering if that isn't Mr. Fantastic stretched out, that he's either put a bunch of bullet holes in or... No. That's pretty awesome. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you guys if that was like a sign that was up in the Baxter Building somewhere, or something that I just didn't know about. But that's a pretty cool uh, theory. Yeah, I like his idea better. Yeah, I just thought it was part of the Baxter Building or, or like the flag above the Baxter Building or whatever. But I like your earlier story better, Russ. So. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I wasn't sure because it kind of looks metal, sorta. Um, but there's a bunch of holes in it, and it's it's really big. So I just I was I just thought it was kind of funny if that was you know if they had reed stretched out and for you know whatever and, and just killed it. So I just I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought it was interesting too when we see at the beginning that you know the version of the cap we get. I mean obviously because at this point you know you know Captain America is not back. It's it's Bucky, but he never says a word. You know you never see a word. You know cat. He just sits there. And, you know, the tears coming out of his eyes for, you know, what's what's happening, what's going on. But I thought that was, that was kind of interesting. The fact that Wolverine at the end capitates the Red Skull with Cap Shield, I thought was just awesome. I mean, that's like the ultimate form of justice, you know, in the world, that he's able to, you know, use his enemies. You know, Wolverine uses the Red Skull's greatest enemy's ultimate weapon against him to kill him. I thought was just really cool. I dug him yeah, using uh I dug him using Iron Man's armor to fly back too. That was pretty cool. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And like I was saying before about the you know, the spaghetti western or what have you, when he gets back and he sees that you know the Hulk gang has killed his family anyway, you know, even though he had two weeks left. I mean the look, the different looks on his face is like first the shock, then the eyes get wide, and then you get like the little. You know, like the the evil, like menacing look. It just it very much reminded me of, you know, like I said, like the outlaw Josie Wales or one of those Clint Eastwood movies where, you know, now, you know, the, the solid feces has hit the rotary oscillator. You know, now stuff is going to start going down. Yeah. And the double page snicked is, is great. I mean, any Wolverine fan would get a chill from seeing that. Oh, yeah. I wonder how much the original art of just the word snicked on that page would go for. <laughs> I mean, it's, is it, it's not even art. Is it lettering? I mean, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know uh, if an artist draws that out or if it's just giant lettering, but it would still be cool to have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the, the one panel that caught me is a little weird. It's right after he decapitates the skull. It's that next page. It's the bottom panel. The way he, I don't know if it's just either the camera angle or the way that it, it looks. That to me looks like a very, quite quietly, type of uh, face. There's something different about it. 
kind of that rounded bottom chin like that, you know, how, you know, Quitely styles kind of like, I don't know why, it just, it just looked very Frank Quitely-ish to me right. on that, on that bottom, bottom panel. It just looked, you know, I, I guess it stood out as being different. Yeah, it's definitely different. He put a little more, like, meat on his face, too, I think. Yeah, yeah. Give him that older look. Let me ask you guys this. When you got to the, when you kind of saw Wolverine in the, in the Iron Man armor, and he's flying back to the west to the west coast. And did you, at this point, given all the stuff going on, did you pretty much have a telegraph in that he was going to get back there and his family was dead, or did it surprise you? No, it's it surprised me. I, I thought there would be, I, I thought there'd be a showdown on the spot. Like maybe he would get there the same time as them, you know, um, and fight it out and probably save them. But I guess I should have known. A, at this point in this book, that it wasn't going to turn out as it seemed it was going to. Yeah, I mean, you tell you tell from the first issue it's going to be a, you know, a revenge story, you know, and you know the whole Hulk versus Wolverine classic, you know, Marvel, you know, matchup as far as you know, uh, you know, you know, fight, you know, fight scenes or whatever. And that's you know, the panel you're talking about before we fantasize about killing you know, the, the member of the Hulk gang. And it's all set up for this last issue that we're about to get into now. I mean, you know, just setting up the whole revenge motivation. I mean, and, and, and the only thing that I think would motivate him to really pop his claws and, and go back on his word would be, you know, his ultimately being killed like they, they were. So, part eight, the uh, the long-awaited conclusion, which was actually put in giant size, Wolverine No Man Love Number 1, which came out, I guess, at this point, what, about three weeks ago, I want to say? Yeah, yeah, around there, about there. Three or four weeks ago. So... Pretty much the summary I have for this issue is just carnage. Just yeah. absolute carnage. Like I said, like where we left off the last issue, Wolverine, you know, finds out that the Hulk game got bored and was looking for something to do, so they just went ahead and killed his family anyway, even though he had two weeks left to pay him. So Wolverine's basically out for revenge. It's funny how um I'm just noticing it now in, in Sonny Stark's bar. Where the uh, the Hulk gang's kind of eating human flesh and stuff. The the bartender's got the Hitler mustache too. Yeah. So I guess it's kind of like, uh, you know, proclaiming your loyalty to the president. You know, it seems to be more than one person that has the Hitler mustache going on. Does one of the Hulk yeah. gang have it too? Yeah. So I guess it's kind of like if you're going to show that you're with the president, just in case any of the, you know, military come by you or anything it's kind of like your flag you know like i'm with you guys yeah. don't uh don't worry yeah yeah i do like when wolverine just says i'm just here to kill you people yeah <laughs> very matter of factly you know the issue starts out with him just the two of them will come back to the watering hole the whole main watering hole um to clean up after having killed wolverine's family and it's just you know, this is another one, you know, John, if you're saying that if they ever decide to make a movie out of it, this would just be really cool because this is the typical silent stalking. You know, they cut away to one guy, then the other guy disappears, and then, you know, you see him literally in pieces floating in the water in his own blood. The, the scene where he pops out of the water, it's reminding me, is there a scene like that in one of the Rambo movies maybe? I keep seeing somebody getting stalked in the water and, and like, popping out like that. Might be Rambo, or, or it might be Predator, maybe, when Arnold's in the mud. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a good call on that. Yeah. 
Big Rambo Chief. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's, it's Sonny Stark's bar. So again, it's another one of these. Okay, well, who's Sonny Stark? Is he the you know great grandson, the nephew? You know, who? How is he related to to Tony Stark? And you know, Porsche Lab is running a you know bar that caters to the Hulk gang out in the middle of nowhere. So I thought that was cool. And then I love that two of the Hulk gang, two of them. One of them's named Bo, and one of them's named Luke. I just kind of thought of the Dukes of Hazard when I was reading that. Yeah, yeah, that was good. The House of Ill Repute is Hef's mansion, so I guess yeah. Hef's hanging in there still after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And I love the look on their face when they look outside and they see, you know, a great pose for Wolverine where he's got his, you know, his jacket on and his claws out, which they, you know, conceivably you guys have never seen that before in their life. And the hat tipped down where you can't even see his eyes. Cut back to Banner's lair where you know, we get this. I thought this was a really cool touch too because you get you know what conceivably is Banner and you kind of see him in silhouette, and then you can get a you, know, you get that real close up on him. And you, at that you know at that point you can't tell what he really looks like because you know you're you know part of you is like okay well what is you know it's 50 years later how they draw on the Hulk, and so you know they're kind of building up to it and building up to it. Right. Um, then we see, of course, they're all, you know, a bunch of inbreds. And I, I love, basically, the explanation is, is that this was, the, the whole Hulk gang started with Banner mating with his cousin Jennifer Walters, who's the She-Hulk. And basically, the, the way they sustain their family is through, is through constant inbreeding, which is really creepy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when Wolverine confronts Banner and Banner is like, who else would I meet with besides my cousin? You're like, ew. Yeah. Kind of gross. Yeah. Well, I love this. He just, you know, just all the different ways. He, you know, he straps the one guy to the fantastic car with the bomb on it and, you know, just drives it you know, straight into all their, you know, mobile home trailers and stuff. And he just starts taking them out one at a time. And then he finally confronts yeah, Pappy Banner. Pappy Banner. Yeah, yeah. Would you be quiet? You're going to wake the baby. And I loved how Banner basically has the Hulk strength, even though he's not in his Hulked out form. That you know, I guess the the Gamma has you know messed with him so much that he's able to retain his uh, you know all of the strength and everything in his de-Hulked form. I guess you'd call it at this point. And he throws a cow at him. Yes, yeah, and then Wolverine cuts it in half. Just bizarre. Just, just just the carnage again, like I said, just nothing but carnage, panel after panel after panel. And then as soon as, you know, of course, as soon as you see him where he, he you know, takes his claws and guts him all the way through, you're like, okay, that's it. That's what's going to get him, set him off. And I got to say, this is probably the craziest, most bizarre rendition of the Hulk I've ever, I've ever seen. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Everything that you know everything that he does is okay now, though, because he's set. He's taken all these issues to set up this world where anything goes. You know, so at this point, you know that he's playing in his own world. So any any version of anybody he comes up with is cool at this point. Yeah, yeah. But I love the, I love the quote too. After he gets him, he goes, "You idiot! You shouldn't have made me angry, Logan." People piss themselves when I get angry. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> That's just an awesome quote. Yeah. That's a nice panel, too. Yeah. Yeah, we just chomps down on his whole side. And then he eats Wolverine. Bad yeah. move. Yeah, 12 hours later. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, 
this is one I definitely saw coming a mile away. It's like, okay, he ate him, and now he's starting to get ingestion, so yeah, that, that's going to come back and haunt him. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait a minute. Straight out of Men in Black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones, Men in Black. Yeah, no big deal. We've been snacking on our own foes for years, Billy Bob. But none of them had healing factors. And he's like, you got to be kidding me. He's run. Then, of course, the next panel where he busts out of him from the backside. He's just like, oh, that's green goop and nastiness everywhere. It's ironic that, you know, Wolverine and Hulk being rivals for so long, the Wolverine would finally take him out. You know what I mean? From the inside out. Yes, from the inside out, exactly. And then the very end of it, where he, where he grabs uh, Bruce Banner Jr. I don't know, if you guys ever read uh, Lone Wolf and Cub? Uh-huh. Parts of it. Yeah, the, uh, the, the manga about the, 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 uh, the samurai with uh, a master and his uh, baby son. I totally got a Lone Wolf and Cub vibe off of that. Um, once uh, he grabs, you know, once Logan takes, you know, the little baby Bruce Banner with him quest to walk the earth or whatever <laughs> he's doing you know yeah that, that my it's, it's funny that my last notes is lone wolverine and cub that, that's the last set of notes i have on the issue it sure is interesting i mean they he he did leave it open for more stories you know there's no doubt about it and he opened up a lot of doors like we've been saying you know all show about things that he can show us that would be really cool he planted the seed you know yeah, 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 definitely. And I think this is where, you know, again, it kind of ties in, I guess, to the Miller run. Is there's, you know, in the in that Fantastic Four run, there's an older, I guess, the baby at, at that point has grown up and you know calls Logan father. So, you know, I guess that's where that, you know, that end, you know, that thread ties into Fantastic Four, and the 1985, you know, thread ties into Fantastic Four to kind of pull it all together. That pretty much takes us takes us to the end. So. I mean, I mean, obviously we've been gushing about this for you know the last hour and a half or so. So, I mean, overall, I guess you know, out of ten, what do you what do you guys give it? For me, it's like I won't give it a ten, just because you know, are there are there any tens really ever? But I'll give it a nine. I mean, it's just right up my alley. I love the action. I love the carnage. I love the ca- you know, I love these characters. I love Wolverine and and Hulk and he he took. We we said it in the beginning, you know how many how many times can you see Wolverine fight Hulk? Well, he just pulled it off and made it different and made it interesting, and we were all chomping at the bit for them to lock up finally in the last issue. So, you know that's a good thing. So I say nine. I give it a solid eight or a nine. I, I'm a sucker for these kind of uh, stories where they take you know heroes and and villains that we we are familiar with. You know, it might be a little old, you know old hat and just totally recast them in uh, different stories and different conflicts and different environments. I, I really enjoyed uh, you know like Earth X, Kingdom Come, uh, things like that. And so this is really right in my alley along those lines. It's really cool to see when you know you have an inventive writer like Miller uh, take these concepts and kind of just run with them in the most weird and, and crazy ways possible. It's not not perfect, but I, I did really enjoy it. I, I'd give it a good solid eight. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to put it in the nine, eight and a half, nine category as well. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think this is definitely up there. Is I think time will will put this up there as you know one of my favorite Wolverine stories of all time, kind of like Enemy of the State and and some of the you know the classic Days of Future Past and you know some of the you know Wolverine Weapon X, um, the Barry Windsor Smith stuff as well. Um, your Wolverine origin, that kind of thing. So, you know, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, the one, I, you know, I guess if I had to nitpick it at all, you know, the only thing I'll say is the lateness really did kind of, did, 
I think it took a little bit away from the ending because there had been so much time that had passed. You know, some of the some of the anticipation and some of the waiting, you know, to see how that you know ended kind of had a chance to wear off a bit, you know, just because so much time had passed. And I think if if it had, if it had been able to keep a more regular schedule, I think I think it would have just really had a lot more impact, you know, as, as a whole story. So, you know, I think again, this is one of those ones that years from now nobody's really going to care nobody's going to remember the fact that you know it came out in seven issues of the wolverine monthly and finished off in a giant size um and that it was you know five months late between you know parts seven and eight and you know several months between parts you know six and seven so given that this was so disconnected from current continuity and what was going on i think this almost would have been better served maybe as its own miniseries you know or own you know set of maybe double-sized issues or something like that to to set it apart, um, I, I think it would have been. I, th- I think it would have been better served. Maybe they could have, um, you know, waited until they had more of them in the can, ready to go to solicit, and it could have it could have come out a little smoother uh, as well. It's going to make a really good hardcover or trade. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I read it all in one sitting, and uh, the story worked really well for me. I, mean, I didn't have. Waiting that you guys had in between you know, chapters, but I could see this being a really good omnibus, a really good hardcover edition, you know, with um, the, uh, the high res paper and whatnot to really set the art off. Yeah, I think is what is it November in the November shipment or December shipment, John? It's going to be oversized hardcover. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm pretty sure I paid for it not last month. I think I paid for it in August. So I'm going to say, but it might have been advanced. So I'm going to say November. Yeah, probably November. I think maybe yeah. late November. Yeah, so that'll be that'll be good to, uh, again, to, you know, the oversized, you know, edition with the high, you know, with the high quality paper and everything. They're making a nice, nice presentation. Yeah, hopefully they throw in some, uh, you know, some of the sketches or the yeah, I mean, concept yeah, I designs. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, the other nitpick I have is that the last issue was four ninety nine. And I think I counted the story pages, and it was, I can't remember if it was 36 or 38 pages or something like that. Maybe it was 40 pages. But the other pages were simply some sketch, you know, some sketch pages and then a cover gallery. And, you know, for an eight-issue series that had all those printings, a cover gallery, I, you know, for me, I wish they would have just made it either 299 or 399 even 399 and just saved all the you know, the, all that type of extra material for the hardcover or whatever, I would have been satisfied. I, I didn't need to pay the extra money to get all of that. Right. But that's, you know, again, minor minor stuff. Well, it's it's minor, but it's just a continuing trend. I mean... Yeah, yeah. The, you know, there's stuff in these issues with... I don't want to call it crap, but they they make you think you're getting more for the extra buck or two, but... You know, you're really not. <laughs> yeah, and you're kind of, yeah, and you're kind of stuck because you know you're just. I mean, you could do it on principle and say I'm not going to get it on principle, but you've been following this thing for seven, you know, seven parts. You're not going to just abstain from the last part out of principle, um, you know, and not and not read it because of you know, you know, whatever. But I mean, I guess at some point, you know, just get kind of gets a little ridiculous to to pay the inflated price for a little gain. Yeah, Marvel seems to be doing that a lot lately with the. Uh, I'm Thor, what was it, Thor 600 they just came out with not too long before? Thor 500? 
Yes, six hundred. Six hundred. Thank you. They're the slightly longer story, and then they filled the rest of three prints from you know Kirby and Lee. It's, this is why I'm a trade waiter, guys. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, I you get you. the extra stuff for the trade, and uh, you don't end up paying for an event for a floppy. So I'm yeah. cheap. What can I say? Well, I think that about wraps it up, gentlemen, doesn't it? Yeah, it I think does. I think we're pretty good. Yeah. Just want to do one quick shout out before we're off the air on our website. Uh, uh, legionofdudes.com you'll see a banner uh, that we just recently placed there for the podcast awards uh, for which uh, we've already been nominated uh, so uh, if you'd like to vote for us in the podcast awards uh, I know we uh, aren't the biggest kid on the block but it, it would sure would be nice to have your support just go to uh, legionofdudes.com and uh, click on the little banner and uh, and vote yeah. help us dominate help dominate the world what it's all about yeah definitely and of course there's the the donate uh, button if if you uh, are so kind, or just send us comments and, and voicemails, and we'd like to involve everybody more. So cookies, brownies, yes, yeah, cash. I think, I think, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think you're going to see over the you know next several shows that we'll be doing, we're going to be ha- having a lot more guest folks filling in for you know for dudes and stuff like that to to help you know involve the community a little more into the show and stuff like that. So keep them coming. Yes, we have a lot of cool stuff cooking for the extended edition. Uh, John and I have a little uh, Daredevil thing we're working on, and uh, like I said, Megan Washington will have a big announcement on the Black Dossier show. Uh, next week will be the uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Volume Two, and just like Russ was saying, uh, bringing in more guests, we'll be having a cartoonist Pisker as our guest uh, from the Wig and American Splendor. I know he's a big uh, Alan Moore head, so he'll have a lot of cool insights as well. Absolutely. Good stuff. I think that wraps us up for, for this week. I'll put it, one of the things I'll put in the show notes is a, is a link to our Wolverine extravaganza we did back in you know early I guess late April early May when the movie came out. Um, so if you want to get more of our thoughts on what we think about you know our favorite Wolverine stories and the character as a whole and you know some of his, his origins and histories and stuff like that, you can check that episode out since it's kind of a Wolverine centric thing. I just read the Claremont Miller Wolverine again because I got it from the library. Still holds up. It's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Still my favorite Wolverine story. Yeah, you, you throw that, you know, you read that, you read Barry Windsor Smith, Weapon X, and uh, throw in a little of the Miller stuff that we were just talking about and Old Man Logan, and, and you'd be set. Yeah. All right. So I guess that does it for tonight. Again, leave us some comments at comments at legionofdudes.com. And also, don't forget to call the voicemail line. To leave, a, leave a message as well, 516-468. Seven nine one two. Until next week, we will see you then. Have a good night. Take it easy, guys. See you next week. Bye.